0: back. This is Aisha Downton and Vicki diaz Camacho. We're the hosts of The Filter Podcast and it has been a
1: year. Which is why we're kicking off season two with real talk about mental health.
2: Yeah I say um, put mental health first because if you don't then
1: you're not going to enjoy your sport and you're not going to succeed as much as you want to. Kind of started yesterday. Like yesterday I just woke up and
3: I was really depressed, but I don't know why. I feel for Naomi. I feel like uh, I wish I could give her a hug because I know what it's like.
0: Uh, Before we dig in, let's check in with one another. Aisha, how did this year treat your mental health? (laughs) As good
1: as it could get, I guess. Um, Mm. So very early on in the pandemic, I found out that I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. And so the stress of Having to deal with having virtual appointments. <laughs> this was my first pregnancy, so um, my anxiety was already through the roof for mm-hmm. just not ever experiencing pregnancy, and then um, no longer being able to go into the doctor's office and speak with my doctor and make sure everything was okay. So I would say that it's definitely been a roller coaster. Yeah, it's been
0: up. It's been down. Mm-hmm. That's a good way to describe it. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) roller coaster indeed. Yeah. Yeah. What about you? I mean, I think being someone who didn't realize that they were as extroverted as they were, uh, not being around people and being able to hug people, like friendships are very important to me. So that just made me feel very isolated and alone and pretty anxious. I'd say my anxiety kind of skyrocketed this year. Um, So I had to kind of hone in on what I needed for once. Which gave us the space to kind of talk this through, and that led to this episode, I guess. (laughs)
1: Yeah, here we are. Our experiences align with the statistics. During the last year, Google searches related to all things mental health went up. Crisis calls did too.
0: And this is why what you're about to hear taps into what's been so top of mind for many of us. Our emotional and mental well-being. Here we go. During the past year, the pandemic lifted the veil on another crisis, the mental health crisis. So we're here to talk with Dr. Rebecca Chow, a licensed clinical professional counselor, and Briora Page, a
4: licensed professional counselor, about their experiences. Welcome to the show, Dr. Chow. Hi, thank you for having me. I am Dr. Rebecca Chow, and I'm excited to be here to talk about mental health issues after the pandemic. Thank you,
1: and also welcome Briora. Hi there, I'm Briora. thank you all so much for having me. Could you take us back to the moment when you found out that you had to transition to doing your work remotely?
2: Yeah, so for me, ironically, I was actually in Costa Rica. What? <laughs> <When> I, <laughs> yes, so um, they were actually closing their border, so I had 24 hours to get back to Casey. Wow. So yeah, I was, I was terrified. <laughs> so <laughs> I did, I came back home, and then I told my supervisor I was back home, um, coming back in the next day she said okay well if you're not feeling well you know please do stay home so but i did i felt fine didn't have a fever none of the things so i went to work for one day and then uh, went home and then the next day i came in and was there for 30 minutes and my supervisor was like oh you have to go home like right now i'm like right now? (laughs) I just got here. Yeah. She said, yeah, actually, you're going to be the first to kind of kick this off and see what it's like to to work from home. And then everybody else is going to do it. But I think, you know, it's because I had just came from out of the country. Mm -hmm. Um, So I thought I was just special that I was going to be working from home. But no, it was literally everybody. And then um, a few days later, the lockdown happened and we thought it was going to be maybe a week or two. And like Aisha, it was... We actually just
4: came back mid-June of this year, so yeah, it's been a while. Yeah, I think, you know, reflecting back a year ago, I think that was the shock that came in all of us and the understanding that our life was never going to be the same. Mm -hmm. That shock, I think it was just overwhelming. And for us as mental health professionals, how do you do mental health from home? Right, and right. how did you provide that to clients that are in need from div- diverse backgrounds? So it was definitely a shock. As a mom, as a therapist, it was just surprising. Yeah, and what did that do? I think to the mental state of everyone,
0: we're in this like sense of unknowing. You know, what is going to happen next, and the this like sense of doom. I think a lot of people were feeling that. Mm-hmm. What did that do to our brains?
4: Well, one of the things that we know is um, our brain is really uh, set up to survive. So the first part of our brain that actually develops when conception happens is called the brainstem, which people like to call it the reptilian brain. But that's the part of our brain that doesn't have a timeline, that doesn't really have any memory, is truly just focused on survival. Mm -hmm. And that part of our brain gets activated when we experience trauma, when we experience a situation that is totally out of our control. Mm -hmm. You know, Dr. Peter Levine talks about trauma being something that happens too fast, too soon, too long, and for uh, too short. So something that you have no control over. And the other part of our brain is the limbic brain that has to do with connection and social relationships. And the last part of our brain is our cognitive brain. That's the one that tells us that's why we can do math. That's why we can speak. That's what gives us uh, um, concrete thoughts. So, think a little bit about this. When our uh, cognitive brain is down, we know it's okay. It's no big deal. Kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning, right? Oh, it's mm-hmm. going to be okay. This is going to be so fun. We're going to be <laughs> home. This is going to be amazing. And then when that part of our brain is functioning and we're regulated, we are at our chronological age. Mm-hmm. What happens is when that starts to feel like, wait, what? This is really different. It's like our cognitive brain starts to freak out a little bit and is thinking like, how long is this going to last? Do I have enough toilet paper? Right? All of those pieces that you're not really understanding. And then the other part of our brain, the social part of our brain, it starts kicking in. So then we look for social relationships, right? It's like, oh, let me call my mom. And Well, through the pandemic, we cannot socialize. Mm -hmm. We cannot hang out. We cannot have wine time together, have Mm -hmm. coffee with our friends. We cannot even see our families. So then when we don't have those coping skills, what happens is our uh, brainstem start getting activated. So then everybody goes survival mode Mm -hmm. and really anxious to the point when it's really overwhelming. Because we feel like we don't have control over what's happening, we mm-hmm. go into survival mode. Yeah. And that was what we all experienced. Our brain was created to do that for a few... Uh, we can do that solid for a whole f- full week. But once it goes over one week, and two weeks, and three weeks, it's a lot... And that's when you see all of that devastation that came and the sense of doom. It's like this keep extending weeks after mm-hmm. weeks after weeks. Mm-hmm. And we don't have the social things that really allowed us to be grounded and feel like we can be connected with others, mm-hmm. which only encompasses to more and more senses of isolation and also feeling like, man, mm-hmm. I, I don't and know that if also I...
2: also like to add, too you know, she did mention that short-term stress is actually, it's okay and we can handle that, but long-term stress is when we kind of go into that crisis. And sometimes that looks like becoming very impulsive or sometimes that looks like becoming very Mm. depressed. And we start seeing a lot of those behaviors happening during the pandemic because we weren't wired to experience that long-term stress like that.
0: I'm curious to know what you saw in your clients or your patients. Um, What, Like, Briora, what did you see? So when the shutdown first happened,
2: I actually wasn't able to even um, talk to my clients because we went home and it was about a a week of kind of uncertainty. So I think that also probably added to the anxiety. Um, We had to do a lot of training to do telehealth because none of us, none of, I work at a domestic violence agency. We were not trained in telehealth because we all met in person. So we had to do the trainings before we can continue with therapy. Mm. So by the time, you know, we did continue with therapy, it was full blown. What am I going to do? I can't go to work. How am I going to pay my bills? How am I going to feed my kids? There's no food in the stores. There's no toilet paper. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just full blown. I don't know what to do next. Mm -hmm. Um, So a lot of it was um, really just trying to slow down so that we can troubleshoot because you know when when we're in panic mode we, we kind of our brains start our, our thoughts race and we can't think clearly so it's like okay let's slow down and even I had to as well because I've never lived through a pandemic so we all let's just slow down let's focus on our breathing let's get centered and then let's see what we can do about this so that was really just kind of putting out fires for the first mm-hmm. several weeks oh that's what gosh. it looked like for me
1: what about for you Dr. Chow
4: I think that is, um, you bring such great points, Brianna. And also the fact that we had to do, some of us are really good at utilizing technology. And as therapists, we had been trained to have this. It's like face-to-face contact, Mm -hmm. we know how to open the door for a client, having the client sit down, we organize our offices in a way where everybody comes in. Um, If you're a play therapist, you have your Mm playroom, everything is set up, and we are really used to being able to uh, meet face-to-face with people. All of a sudden this happened, and you have to figure out how to utilize technology, how to meet with a client, Um, some, uh, it is my experience that uh, mental health professionals technology has never been one of the things that uh, people are very open to utilize. Mm -hmm. So it was definitely a learning curve. Now, as an administrator also, it was part of how do you provide uh, stuff for the therapist to be able to do services from home? Do they have their laptops? Do they have uh, HIPAA compliant, which is what keeps um, clients' information secure, mm-hmm. uh, platforms that they can utilize? Um, even the littlest thing, like for example, how are they going to be able to contact a client if they don't have... I don't want them to use their own cell phone number, you know. Mm -hmm. So even reinventing all of those very, very, very little things uh, that usually you don't really think about was really a learning curve for everybody.
1: According to research during the pandemic, especially the height of the pandemic, kind of what you alluded to, the national mental health hotlines grew at almost 800 percent um, in crisis calls. So how did, I know brior you just spoke to that, but for Dr. Chow, how did that reflect within your clientele or your yeah, workload? I
4: think part of, um, I think it was just the overwhelming feeling of knowing that there was a huge need and that we needed to provide the services, but we were reinventing how to provide those services. And, um, especially for, um, Therapists that are working with children, I'm a play therapist myself. It was like, how do we reinvent play therapy through the computer?
1: Can you explain a little bit what play therapy is for the listeners at home that might not know what that is?
4: Absolutely, yeah. Well, uh, play therapy is the use of different uh, experiential materials, usually toys and miniatures, that really allowed uh, a person or an individual to connect with their Uh, abstract thinking through the toys. Doing play therapy through the computer with a five-year-old is very different than doing (laughs) play therapy with with a 35-year-old. But one of the things that I remember is with one of uh, the clients that I have is he was a six-year-old. We were working on some of the things that we had been working, and then all of a sudden there was a shooting outside of his house as I am meeting with him and we finally get it. So it was this moment of commotion of, you know, the the computer or the phone that they were using. You can see it moving everywhere. They're They're all in the ground. You're trying to figure out how to assess level of danger and safety. And all of this is happening. And, you know, they are right there. So you're in the phone. You cannot hang up. It's all of these processes that you have never really had to encounter. And how do you bring that back after everything was okay, mom is dysregulated, I am dysregulated, the child is dysregulated? And how do you assess safety and talk about a sense of safety when we just went through that? Wow. So I think some of the things that were different because of the services that we were providing is we had to incorporate in play therapy, we had to incorporate the parents. And many times when it comes to mental health issues, the adults that have children believe the child is the one that has the problem, right? When in reality, we know it's a systemic problem. So all of a sudden, parents, and like you were mentioning, they had to be teachers, they have to be moms, mm-hmm. they have to be wives, they have to be daughters, they also, or sons, I guess, and then, but they also have to figure out how to be the hands and uh, the body of a therapist at home <laughs> as we're communicating through Zoom. So, we all had to experience different roles and experiencing those roles and addressing some of the needs when you are getting consistently uh, 10 to 15 people a day that need services, and you're thinking, mm-hmm. I don't really know how to fulfill that. Um, yeah.
0: That sounds so important, especially now for all of us, you know, as we come out of the pandemic, even though it feels like it's continuing, right? And I think that's part of the exhaustion that a lot of us are feeling. So I'm curious if you've seen a a rise in certain demographics, because I have read studies that, you know, women are feeling more and more anxious these days, especially parents, um, especially, you know, certain, you know, racial ethnic groups are feeling the height of the pandemic was like really bad for them. Have you seen anything in particular?
2: Well, I did see that there was some literature around that, but typically, um, well, where I work at the domestic violence agency is welcome to all genders. Mm -hmm. Um, It just so happens that, women um typically come in for this so i typically work with mostly women anyway so i haven't really seen a difference there just because i've always pretty much worked with women um but as far as since the pandemic i have noticed that um i typically worked with um before the pandemic mostly worked with white women Mm -hmm. but since the pandemic i've seen all types of uh different racial backgrounds that are like you know what I am stressed. I am being hurt. I need to talk to somebody because mm. this is not okay. So yeah. I did. I did notice that personally.
0: Mm-hmm. And why do you think that was?
2: Well, I think you know, society um, kind of paints a different narrative i think speaking specifically like for black women we kind of have to have the superwoman mentality mm-hmm. and it's almost shameful to come into therapy because it's like no i got it i got this mm-hmm. i'm an independent woman i don't need anybody don't worry sit back just watch me work um, and with the pandemic almost like all of the the resources like the, it was almost That the world was on their shoulders and it got to a point where a lot of the women that I've worked with that were people of color, not just black women, but people of color were that this is actually too much. And maybe I'm not Mm -hmm. a superhero. Maybe I'm actually doing too much right now. Mm -hmm. So let me talk to somebody.
0: (laughs) (laughs) That's good. And for you, Dr. Chow, what do you see?
4: I think um, you know, in the community of people of colors, and specifically to the Latinx community, I feel like there there has been an increase, specifically after the pandemic, about people reaching out for mental health issues because of the social impact that this had. And when it comes to community. That piece is where we really need to be focusing on. How does our vulnerable communities who were already struggling because of lack of availability of services, because of immigration status, because of socioeconomic status, because of uh, relationship status, that has really been stuff that f- we as a community were struggling with, and now we have all of these other stuff on top of it. It just becomes something that sometimes can be unbearable.
1: Yeah. Vicky and I would like to know, how are you doing as a therapist um, that has been technically in quarantine for a year and a half? Like, how are you all mentally and emotionally right now compared to the beginning of the pandemic? And what was that like for you all? I, I feel like we barely asked. Therapists, how you guys feel? <laughs> you take a lot of other people's emotions, so um, let me and Vicky be your therapist today. <laughs> We're
0: here to listen. Yes. <laughs> Tell us
1: how you feel.
0: Literally.
2: <laughs> well, um, actually, I feel like my experience was a little bit different. So when the shutdown first happened, I'm sh- I mean, it was the the newness of it all and. The pandemic, Like the virus in itself was scary to me, but I didn't really feel overwhelmed or depressed or like the, the anxious feelings. I was kind of more so holding the space for my clients. It really wasn't actually until this March where people were starting to go back outside and do mm-hmm. things and I still wasn't comfortable yet. So I'm kind of like that kid looking out the window like, I want to play too. <laughs> That's kind of where I honestly started to feel some of the depression symptoms kicked in, like it, it felt, I felt isolated at that point. Wow. Um, I felt like I couldn't really connect in the same way that other people were starting to connect. And so, yeah, it, it felt like a delayed effect for me. Um, but therapists should have therapists. So, okay. <laughs> and I have a therapist. So good. It's <laughs> a good point.
0: Yeah. I think the final question I have for you both is, do you have a message to share? any Kansas Cityans in regards to mental health and well-being?
2: Mm. I would say give yourself some grace, you know, with especially with this pandemic. We, we we never seen anything like it. We never lived through this. There was no common way how to respond to a crisis. So some people, you know, coped in very different ways. And now that we're kind of seeing our way through, um, just realizing how we had to survive this. So giving yourself some grace that we did what we needed to do to get through it. And we can do hard things
4: to to cope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think also for everybody, understanding that the pandemic has affected us differently. It has affected us internally in a way that we didn't know how to, to understand. It is okay to have extremes. It is okay to, when you're feeling happy, feeling extra happy and going like, oh, this is weird. And when you're sad, you're feeling like super sad. Um, You know, that's the way that your brain is trying to make sense of the reality. So what you were mentioning, having grace and compassion for yourself is important through all of this time. But the most important thing too is reach out you know, to someone that can help you. I think one of the things that I always tell people is the reality of right now is we, a hundred percent of us experience the pandemic and we all need to reach out when we feel, you know what, this does not feel right. I do feel like something is not right. It doesn't mean that there is something wrong with you. It just means we went through something that was traumatic. We don't know how to resolve it. And we need to embrace who we are today. We can learn out of what we survive and really embrace and see how we can change the future, not just for ourselves, but for the generations to come.
2: Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, it's really my pleasure.
1: Yeah, it's been fun. (laughs) Thank you for sharing with us your professions and the importance of mental health. This was awesome. Dr. Chow and Briora both urge the importance of seeking mental health support, especially in times when we're alone and disconnected. But what if seeking help isn't that easy? What other alternatives are available?
0: Enter Cecil Watry, founder of the Black Mental Health Initiative, and several other programs focused on expanding awareness and access to mental health care among the Black community.
3: What we want to do is we want to bring it to the community rather than have the community reach out for assistance, meeting people where they're at.
1: Watcher uses his skills as a social worker and licensed counselor in tandem. What he saw was a need to bring mental health resources to the community. Its
3: real purpose was to bring upon destigmatizing and create awareness of, of mental health in the Black community.
0: To do that, widening access is key. His group hopes to provide free or reduced cost services for black folks and people of color in Kansas City. He explained.
3: So, we had last year we had a pilot program with Made by a Clothing Company, which allowed us to serve about 15 participants and provide them with at least uh, nine to eight sessions for therapy for free. We're still working on kicking off uh, this year.
1: A Kaiser Family Foundation study shows that the pandemic has hit communities of color hard and their mental health has been negatively impacted as a result. Specifically, 48% of non-Hispanic black adults and 46% of Latino or Hispanic adults.
3: A lot of that stems from ge- generational trauma, uh, working from an impoverished mindset. And, uh, and with all that toxic stress that we see in the, in the black community, it was, it was a good idea to initiate the aspect of creating awareness and starting to break down those stigmas uh, in those barriers and those traditional mindsets that we have uh, surrounding addressing your mental health. We've always been in a mental health crisis.
0: The way that we think about and feel trauma has also changed though it's often linked to an unexpected sad event like someone dying but the year has shown us that a change in routine, like learning or working virtually for a year, can cause a similar traumatic effect on the psyche.
3: All of that requires change, and change in, in not just in the pattern, but also in how we move. The fact that we're all wearing masks right now. Um, it comes on with a sense of dread because of the change, because of the reasons of the change in the pandemic. So right there, you have your traumatic event. And then you have the aspect of the transition of what now.
0: But not everything is doom and gloom. There are ways to mentally release.
3: If you are listening to someone or someone is is expressing um, anything that happens to do with their mental health, uh, the first step that I would want you to do is to acknowledge them and, and hear them. The second step is believe them. Because oftentimes we run into crisis in in panic, saying, I'm here to fix this problem. When when you are so um, compromised that you can't really address it properly, become self-aware. Listen to yourself. Believe yourself.
0: Well, that wraps our first episode of Season 2 of The Filter. Yay!
1: (laughs) Yes, it does. And we know this episode was a little bit heavy, so we're going to try and end on a happier note. So, Vicky... What's something you've looked forward
0: to recently it's simple it's nothing fancy but it's been steeping in the good moments mm-hmm. with good people and my favorite person of course is my marinovio aka husband polo um because the pand- before the pandemic hit i used to be so on the go wanting to do everything seeing everybody i would never stop to smell the roses
3: mm-hmm.
0: or be in touch with my feelings or my needs so Happy to say I do that more often these days. Some days I'll veg out, listen to Tyler, the Creator's new album, (laughs) or, um, and I do recommend it, it's really, really good, other days, I'll just buy wine from my favorite spot in KC, Big Mood, hunkered down on my cozy sofa to binge on shows like the drama series, I May Destroy You. That show is really good. It's so good. Oh my gosh. Good. Yes. <laughs> or the new comedy series, Reservation Dogs. How
1: about you, Aisha? Well, this summer I started reading for leisure. Nice. One of my close friends, she started a book club. So we've been talking in a group chat over That's the cool. books that we've been um, reading. Romance novels specifically have had my heart because I am cheesy and I love a good rom com, but now I can find that in a book. I just finished The Wedding Date by Jasmine Gilroy and it was so good. It had the perfect mix of drama, romance, and a hint of suspense, and it has a POC main character lead. So, we need more. Highly recommend. Yes. <laughs> Well, that is the show. Catch us next time. Episodes drop on the last Wednesday of the month. Listen
0: and subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Until next time, peace.
1: The Filter Podcast is a production of Flatland at Kansas City PBS. This episode was written and produced by Ayesha Downton, Vicky
0: Diaz Camacho, and Nina Ralph. Production support by Felicia Diaz, Ana Parra, and PJ Kelly at The Post House. Original music by Asia Berlin and Primary
1: Color Music. Additional thanks to our Communications and Engagement Manager, Tyler Peterson.